Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We are going to read an experience uh, from endurf.org again. This is one by a guy named Philip. And he has an interesting, you know, it's it's kind of interesting reading these things uh, to see the way people die. I don't want to, you know, it's not like I'm ready to break out into song the song uh, Dumb Ways to Die or anything. I don't think death is something to be made fun of like that, but it's it's interesting to hear all the different ways that people die. I would kind of expect, you know, three quarters of these to be either car accidents or cancer or something to that effect, you know, uh, dying of a old age, a stroke, whatever, but uh, you get all kinds on here, and I suppose part of that may just be that, um, many of the people who are revived are healthy and strong enough to revive. And therefore, you know, that's when this happens. Maybe when people are in their uh, old age or whatever, um, that, uh, you know, they're less likely to come back. I, I suppose they probably finished their mission on earth and they probably don't have a reason to return. And so maybe there's just far less people that return uh, in that situation. And and that's why it looks like so many people die of such interesting things. Anyway, um, so this is this is by a guy named Philip, and he is uh, robbing a bank and is shot by the county sheriff. So I mean, how many people can say that is <laughs> the way they died, you know? But um, which brings on the question: What's you know, you're a bank robber. What's your death going to be like? You know, uh, the other side. So here we go. My name is Philip, and I'm writing in reference to yours and Dr. Long's interview on the Art Bell show last night concerning NDEs. Uh, let me just interject. I believe that Art Bell interviewed Dr. Long, who mentioned that you know he, uh, those who have had uh, near-death experiences can get on endurf.org, uh, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, and share their experiences. So that's probably what got them to share it. Okay. September 24th, 1995, at approximately 1.30, I was shot during a failed robbery by a county sheriff. The bullet shattered my knee. I'm sorry, I, I correct myself. It doesn't say whether it was a bank robbery, but it's a failed robbery still. It possibly worse. <laughs> anyway, the bullet shattered my knee and severed the artery in my lower leg. I was told that I bled out during surgery. There were two distinct incidents that I recall, both different. The first time, I found myself floating above the operating an operating table. At the time, I was very interested in what was going on and concerned at the commotion. A surgical light was in the way, so I moved down to peer over the back of a female doctor. I remember laughing. She was too short and was standing on something to get, on, get to the table. I also saw a man leaning against a wall in surgical gear whom I recognized as an officer who had accompanied me in the ambulance and with whom I had developed a friendly rapport. Both were confirmed after my recovery. Then the bubble popped. That's not accurate, but it's the best description. And all was black. It was like moving yet slowly going to sleep, 
I was standing barefoot in a beautiful mountain meadow as a four-year-old. Holding my chubby little hand was the most beautiful man I had ever seen. A Greek god times a hundred. He had a glowing he had a glow that radiated love like the sun does light. Like the sun does light. And I knew I was safe with him. It was the most peaceful, loving feeling I have ever known. We started walking along a path through a meadow, hand in hand. I knew that he was taking me somewhere specific but that the walk was important too. I was seeing such amazing things, colors, shapes, smells, everything was so sharp and beautiful. It was like seeing for the first time. My guide enjoyed this walk as much as I did, pointing to new things and laughing at my enjoyment. The only sound he made was laughter, and it was as wonderful as everything else was. It was the rush of a mountain stream, a baby's first cry, tinkling chimes and thunder. I will never be able to describe the sound. At the end of the path, we came to a point overlooking a valley. The valley was covered by fog and clouds, so that you could not see into it, but could not, but could not get an accurate feeling for the size of the valley. Out of the valley came the, these feelings and emotions that were so sad I started to cry. The feelings were sorrow filled with longing, much like wishing something hadn't happened the way it did, knowing it was too late to change it, but wishing it anyway. My guide was crying too. A wasted life is too sad for words. The glow around my guide faded as a brighter, bigger glow surrounded us, and I heard a voice inside my head. The voice said, Philip, this is the end of the path that you now walk. Remember that I will always love you. The glow faded. My guide smiled and wiped my eyes, and the bubble popped again. I woke up in the recovery room, crying like a baby. The nurse was standing over me, trying to calm me and telling me it was over, and I was going to be fine. And why was I crying? I told her I had had a dream, a sad one. She laughed and told me that the anesthetics administered during surgery block the brain's ability to dream. Then she asked what my dream was. I couldn't tell her the whole story. I was fighting sleep. But enough got across. She told the doctors, or she told me that the doctors had trouble with me twice. I was under the knife for over six hours and that I had bled out. Then she told me she didn't think it was a dream and told me to go to sleep. I dreamed of a better life and future for myself and knew it was possible. I've asked other doctors since if it's possible to dream while under anesthetics. All said no. I still try to convince myself otherwise. Well, at least I did. Occasionally, just before I fall asleep, I see my guide standing by me. Personally, I believe that I've glimpsed both heaven and hell, that I've not only met my guardian angel, but held his hand and heard the voice of God.
that's the end of his experience. Interesting, isn't it? What is a burglar going to experience when they get to the other side? And the first thing he experiences is being a four-year-old holding the hands of a guide. Sounds like Jesus to me. <laughs> that's that's just me talking, but his guide is uh, someone very uh, loving and very uh, kind. He says uh, that he's in this valley with his guide, and he can't tell the va the size of it because of fog and so forth. And he's and he's feeling this. Uh, he says he's the most beautiful man he had ever seen, a Greek god times a hundred, basically this glorious, beautiful being. Um, and I, I have to apologize for saying I bet it was Jesus because. I have heard of experiences where somebody spoke with someone glorious beyond description and saying, I felt like it was God. And then when they come back, they see a picture of a great grandfather and say, whoa, that is the man <laughs> that I saw. And so it's not fair for me to try to say who this was, but his guide, as he says it, the most beautiful man he'd ever seen. Um, and they are having this wonderful experience together. And, okay, let's, let's start to analyze a little bit. And, and I'm going to go into skeptic, or not skeptic mode, but um, into interpretation mode a little bit. He's in the midst of a bank robbery when he is shot and bleeds out um, as they were uh, giving him surgery. And he is a four-year-old in this other world, this beautiful world, this loving world where there is joy. He even says that his guide, the laughter of his guide just warms his heart so much. He's like, it's like, it's like tinkling chimes and thunder and a baby's first cry and a mountain stream. And, you know, I don't know if he's hearing all those things or if they, they just all the feelings around those different things are all that combined what he felt um, from the laughter of his guide. But he's a four-year-old. What's that? Clearly this is not a four-year-old man <laughs> who's, who's robbing somebody and is shot by a police officer. Here's a speculation, and I give it a speculation because I have no idea. But somebody who is robbing someone who is somehow in being involved in a burglary, clearly has a great deal of spiritual growth to do. Now, someone who is spiritually immature, could it be that he is experiencing his spiritual mature level when he gets to the other side? He's a four-year-old. A four-year-old is not mature. They're just innocent, just loving, trying. They, they, they don't understand. They just don't know stuff. And perhaps, I'm not saying that his spirit was a four-year-old that came to earth. What I'm suggesting is that his spiritual maturity is so hampered, is so low as, as an earthling up to this point that perhaps when he returns, he's experienced, it's, it's like he's back to a four-year-old stage spiritually. He needs to learn. 
And um, that would be consistent with um, the uh, feelings when the uh, experience changes a little bit. Um, he says, uh, let's see. He says there were two distinct incidences that he recall. The first is of glowing laughter and so forth. And then at the end of the path, they came overlooking a valley. And that is when things seem to change to the second part where there is the emotions that were so sad, so sad that he started to cry. The feelings were sorrow filled with longing, much like the wishing something hadn't happened the way it did, knowing it was too late to change it, but wishing it anyway. He felt this longing like, oh, oh, oh. And he, and he says, my guide was crying too. A wasted life is too sad for words. And then it just kind of starts closing up at that point. And he says, Philip, this is the end of the path that you now walk. Remember that I will always love you. Now, Philip is at the end of a path. And he's about to go back. Clearly his guide knows this because he's disappearing at this time. And then he's, there's immediately the popping again and he's going back. He says, remember that I will always love you. He's at the end of a path. He's about to grow up. I submit as a possible explanation for his four-year-old spirit self, his spiritual immaturity, his innocence, if you will, as a spirit is about to end and he's about to start a spiritual journey to overcome. He says, uh, personally, I believe that I've glimpsed both heaven and hell, that I've not only met my guardian angel, but held his hand and heard the voice of God. He's, and he even says that occasionally, just before he falls asleep, he'll see his guide standing by him. That's beautiful. Just beautiful. He has that guide still with him. And clearly, He's on this spiritual journey still. He's growing up, if you will. Um, that sense of a wasted life is too sad for words. That is that the hell that he speaks of? I don't know. Is hell something he's experienced in his life since or before or whatever? I don't know. He doesn't say. But very interesting and, and beautiful uh, description of, of that whole thing. Let's go with one more. This is a, a team that shares this experience. It's kind of straightforward and beautiful. Okay, this is also on endearth.org. Um, one called Teen, N-D-E. He says, it was a bitter, cold day with a light snowfall on the day I died. On January 27th, 1996, I was skiing in Aspen, Colorado. I was with my girlfriend. I was hoping to impress her with my hot dogging skills when I had a close encounter with a very hard pine tree. I had knocked myself unconscious. I was amazed to find myself floating a few feet above my body. My girlfriend was trying to revive my body to no avail. As soon as she could, she shouted to the other skiers to get help. Look, there's blood, said one of the I said one onlooker. I was mildly curious to note I was bleeding from a cut on the right side of my face as it rested in the snow. My date took off her furry white hat and placed it carefully under my head. 
The pillow soon turned red with my blood, and I recall thinking that I'd have to buy her a new hat. I followed the ski patrol as they loaded my limp body and took me down the mountain. I seem, it seemed like the ambulance was taking forever, so I flew into town to see if I could see anything. I wasn't particularly worried, but I was getting ticked that they were taking so long that while I was dying. I spotted the ambulance and followed in, followed in back to the first aid station. The snowstorm turned into a full-blown, all-out blizzard, which caused the ambulance driver to swerve on the corners. I heard him swear loudly each time he nearly lost it. Hey man, get a grip, I said aloud. This is where it really gets weird. Even the, though the snow was dense, I could see, or I could see right through it. I noticed that snowflakes were passing right through my outstretched arms, and I was glowing slightly. There was no sense of cold. I could sense the emotions of everyone connected to the scene. The whole thing seemed like a very intense movie. I floated in and out of the ambulance as it moved slowly through the streets. Suddenly, all sensations vanished as I became aware of another dimension in space. The heavy, worrisome thing vanished, and I felt a really peaceful feeling like being back home and soaking in love from a source that seemed familiar and warm. I know it sounds nutty, but it felt like I belonged to a part of the greatness of all there is in the universe. This place where I was defies mere words. It seemed as if I always existed as part of all things, now and forever. I saw a beautiful purple place and felt the loving being ask me in thought transference if I wanted to stay or return. I thought about my college days ahead. I asked the being if I were to go back now, would there be any problem in returning later? There was a friendly chuckle from this being which made me laugh too, and then it happened in an instant. I was back in a world of pain once again. I was told I had suffered a concussion and had been out, out of it for 13 hours. It was so hard to deal with the whole thing afterwards. I was very different after that. I couldn't really discuss this with anyone, as they wouldn't have any clue and just think I was cracking up. I became very serious and became interested in learning about all about psychology, religions, philosophy, and generally searched for whatever truths I could find in literature, lectures, and meetings. My parents approved of the changes, but my girlfriend moved on to another guy. It's all for the best. I think I spooked her too much when I told her about the hat episode and all her conversations with the ski patrol guys, etc., it's good to know that I will be able to get back to that loving, peaceful place again. I'm no longer dreading my own death or the death of my grandparents. That's the end of the experience. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, clearly there's some uh, evidences uh, expressed with the pillow hat scene and, and some of the conversations and things that took place. 
it's interesting that um, you know the ambulance driver is pretty much freaking out, swearing every time he's having trouble, and the guy's like, this this kid is like, hey man, get a grip, you know, and he's coming in and out of the ambulance, which is interesting. It's obviously moving probably as fast as it can, which is not very quick on a slippery snow storm. The thing that I kind of liked that I found kind of interesting is as he's sitting there and they're waiting for the the ambulance to get there, he's kind of getting impatient. So he flies into town to see if he can <laughs> see what's going on. Uh, he says he wasn't particularly worried, but he was upset they were taking so long. He saw the ambulance and he followed it back to the first aid station. And uh, so he's kind of following around the, the truck. He, you know, he can go to where his body is. He really seems to have control over what his body is doing. He's not being sucked into a light at this, at this point. And then he becomes, it just says that the all sensations vanished and he became another, or of another dimension in space. He, he doesn't really talk about a, uh, a tunnel or rushing toward whatever, but he does describe the feeling of the place and there being a being there um, that asked him if he would like to go back or if he'd like to stay. And then, you know, he kind of says, well, if I do go back, am I going to have any trouble getting back here? And I love that the, uh, the being just kind of chuckles as if in answer to say, that's, that's not a problem, but you know, it's it's funny as if, you know, he's kind of like, you know, the kid's trying to like, well, is there going to be any trouble getting back? Because I want to stay, but, uh, you know, as long as I can come back, I'm willing to return, you know. And there's this, there's this little exchange there. Interesting, isn't it? So, um, uh, I, I like that. It's a teenager, and it has the flavor of a teenager, too. I, I think that's cool. And again, you can read both of those accounts on uh, enderf.org. And if you would like to tell us about your experience or you have a question or a comment to, to make, call 970-NDE-CAST. That's 970-633-2278. You will not speak to a human. You will have the opportunity to give your name, which you can give if you'd like, or you can uh, keep it anonymous, and then you will be given the chance to leave a message. And I will get that message afterward, later, and uh, I would like to share it on the show, if you're okay with that. If you do want to leave a message and don't want to share it on the show, be sure that you say so. But um, I highly encourage you to share something that can be shared on the show. It's totally cool. Don't even worry about if you're stumbling through your words and so forth. We're all humans and having a human experience, but we're spirits having a human experience. And those are the experiences uh, in relation to the spirit that we would love to hear. So with that, thank you again so much for listening. <laughs>